Friday, October 26th, 2018. Time for episode 65 of the Barnhart Podcast. So much has happened since the last podcast, which, according to my notes, was on the 10th. <laughs> so it's been about oh, two wow. weeks. Um, yeah. Yeah, 16 days. Uh, a lot has happened. And, you know, this, for me, this is a very weird feeling right now because last night I experienced something I haven't in a long time, eight hours of sleep. Yay! Actually, I should, the I should, Novino worked. Tell yes. everybody the good news. Yes. I, well, <laughs> I had an opportunity for eight hours of sleep. My body woke up after seven and a half. So what's going on here? So wow. starting last Thursday, uh, we, we began to get uh, overnight help. And th- the funny thing is, uh, the, the group who is helping had been suggested to us before, but we thought, no, uh, there, there are some logistic and enc- logistical encumbrances that go with this. So we thought, Lem- let's see if we can find something through the, um, the, the Medicaid system, the people, the people who would be paid through, through state funding because it, they, they provide their own, uh, transportation. And, um, you had emailed something that somebody, I guess, local to me had had pointed out that there is a convent uh, here in the local area, uh, the Sister Servants of Mary, and their whole uh, purpose, their 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 charism, is that they are all at least CNA, which I believe is certified nurse assistant or higher. Right. So LPN, RN, I don't know how high they go. I don't know if the the mother prioress is a surgeon, but they they're all <laughs> they're medical oriented, and specifically their their mission is is helping people. Um, who have uh, situations where they need around-the-clock assistance and specifically helping them overnights. So it's it's exactly Tiny Princess's issue. So exactly. after after we knew that they were they existed, but initially we were thinking, okay, we'd have to be responsible to pick them up every night and then take them back and be there at the convent by six a.m. And we were thinking, okay, that's not horrible, but it's not the best logistical logistical situation for what was going on. Mm-hmm. After three or four weeks of sleep deprivation, my thought was, I don't care if I have to <laughs> pick them up every night at eight thirty and and wake up at five fifteen every morning to get them back. If I can at least sleep continuously between those two times, I'm fine with it. Yeah. And um, so we 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 contacted the 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 sisters. The mother prioress came out to visit uh, to to meet tiny princess and evaluate what our needs were. And she's, she assigned one of her, one of the sisters to start helping us that night. Initially it, it, the uh, allotment is, is three nights a week, but uh, she's been here every night since, except for one. And wow. uh, we're, we're not sure if that's just temporary or if it's going to be every night going forward. But um, yes, I am so thankful to everybody, and not just me. I mean, I'm thankful, yes, but uh, Supermom for sure, much more so because the the idea that she can actually sleep at night, um, I I know I definitely feel it during the day. I can concentrate on what I'm doing. It's I look at all this you know program code and JavaScript and stuff. It's like, oh, this makes sense now. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. You can actually concentrate on things when you have a full night of sleep. And yep. I had I had joked my boss before she. The, the company I work for is just amazing that they, they know that I'm going through something very difficult. And honestly, there have been some elements where I just have not been keeping up on work. And I've made the joke. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm keeping up with things right now. Imagine how much better I'll do when I'm well rested. And uh, it has almost been like flipping a switch going night and day. Uh, suddenly, I, I've been the one behind on some of the stuff. And, and this last week, it's like, no, 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 this is how things are going. You guys don't get it. I figured this out. This is how it's going. And they're all looking at me it's like, how'd you figure this out all of a sudden? It's like, well, I actually got some sleep. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you sound just right now, you sound the peppiest that you've sounded really since she was born, it seems to me. So yay. Thanks to everybody for doing the novena. And of course, who is the main actor in all of this? Saint Anne, of course. Yes. She's very powerful and she came through. She came through and she came through fast. Yes. Um, well, let's see, it was a nine day novena. We kept we kept going. I forget how many days it was, honestly. Afterwards, we just kept going because, like you said, the just keep praying until there's an answer. And uh, even even after Sister started coming the first few days, I, since it was only three out of seven days covered, I was telling my wife, let's just keep praying this novena. And then we were told, like, we can give you a few more days a week. And and uh, yeah, so definitely thank you to St. Anne. It, it helps to, to have the novena. And I don't know if you mentioned, we actually have a first class relic of St. Anne here in the house. Yes. So yep. we've, been, mm-hmm. we've been venerating and thanking St. Anne for that. And uh, thank you to everybody who's prayed for us and and, and um, sent other helps along the way. Um, mm. I think we, we mentioned uh, some, one of the donations that somebody sent through. This allows me to simply just give gifts of gas money for everybody yeah. who's picking up Sister. Oh, and that's another thing, too. Uh, so we, we mentioned we emailed the um, the priest here locally who sent out a made, made contact with folks to to try to help you know who who can help pick up sister in the morning and and at night and at night is not so onerous i mean going out and picking up sister at, from the convent at 8 30 in the evening is not so bad it's getting up at 5 15 and then heading out um you know I'm, I'm getting up at that time anyway but it's it the question is okay who's got to get up and actually watch tiny princess between when i leave and either come back for an hour or so before i go to work or until mom gets up so yeah so that that it's it's been a huge help to have, especially for the people volunteering in the morning to to get up as early as they do to come pick up sister and take her to the convent and then do whatever it is they do until their normal day would have started. So cannot wow. thank everybody enough who's prayed, and uh, you are in our prayers. You, we are more grateful than we know how to put into words. And rather than try to come up with eloquence, we are remembering you in our rosaries and our prayers, uh, telling our kids to offer it up when they're complaining about something. Hey, offer it up for everyone who's praying and helping out. Or tell our kids to offer it up and and uh, remember everyone who's who's praying and helping Tiny Princess. So, yes, it's it's been a huge blessing. Awesome. Well, th- thank you for opening the Barnhart podcast with some really really good news. <laughs> that well, is, as, that's absolutely wonderful. As listeners to the Barnhart podcast know, it's not always sunshine and, and rainbows here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the understatement of the of the episode. I think so. Wonderful, and let me reiterate my gratitude to everyone out there as well. And and. Um, we were all kind of praying for each other. So, I mean, anyone out there who did the novena with us, you know, attach your own, your own intentions. And we're all, we're all kind of in this big circle together. But of course the tiny princess, um, intention, that was, that was the, the impetus of the whole thing. But, uh, let it be a testament. Let it be a testament to, to the power of our Lord's grandma and, you know, go to her, go to her daughter and, They'll, they'll take it. They'll take it right to our Lord, straight there. I mean, who can say no to your, who can say no to their grandmother? Come on, you know. <laughs> or in the case of Mary, who's, is she going to say no to her mom? Right, exactly. So a lot has happened since the last time we spoke. Um, somebody was sending um, uh, bombs in the mail to various Democrats, and lo and behold, we found out who it is, somebody who's 
batshit crazy, and that's about typical. And one of the on steroids, wasn't it? Isn't that yes. the thing that I saw? Yeah, I, that's typical. Those these people that are on steroids are absolutely nuts. And as as we've kind of touched on before, a lot of times it's cops. There's a lot of cops that are on steroids, which is scary. But apparently, this dude was a gym rat and on steroids and had a long history of being nuts. So yeah, there you a, go. As long as I get him, as long as I get him, it's a male stripper who wants to be um, an actor or something like that. I don't know. It was, well, it was so strange. That, that's, that's over with now. So. <laughs> and of course the media is all kinds of inconsistent. I mean, when people shot, when, when, when one of the left wing wackos uh, shot up the congressional baseball game and almost killed mm-hmm. Steve Scalise, nobody pointed at Bernie Sanders and said, Hey, you're at fault for this, even though it was somebody who was very much a Bernie supporter, but yeah, everyone decides. Hey, it, it, it's somebody who might be mildly right wing. Let's blame, let's blame Trump. Yep, there are. We've talked about this before. When you get into any sort of a public paradigm at all, there are crazy people everywhere attached to quote unquote attached to anyone who has any sort of a public persona of any size at all. There are crazy people. There are crazy people absolutely everywhere. And sadly, it's it's just part of our culture now. So whether it's this side, that side, blah, blah, blah. Hey, man, just thank God they got the nut. And thank God that he didn't hurt anybody. I mean, from what I saw, none of them were actually bombs, were they? It was just a crazy person like rigging things up that looked like a pipe bomb. and But none of them were actually functioning incendiary devices were they i mean no it was all an homage to obama policies they were these bombs were as effective as bombs as obama's policies were at actually getting anything done there you go there you go thank god nobody was hurt nobody was hurt thank god it's been a just a caravan of crazy and we'll skip the caravan itself because i'm sure more interesting things will happen there in the meantime um was there anything else in the news you wanted to hit real quick I I want to attempt to do a Barnhart podcast in which we do not talk about one of the four sins that cries out to heaven for God's vengeance and revolves around the sixth commandment. So we should maybe just not even not even go into anything having to do with Rome or anything like that. Oh, and so then, you're, you're not talking about financial crimes and, and, um, and Elon Musk shorting uh, Tesla sh- stocks and things like that. Uh, sixth commandment, sixth commandment, oh, okay. not, uh, <laughs> well, there yeah, is that, more no, than that is other crimes that cry out to heaven for God's vengeance. We can talk about those. Let's just not talk about the sixth commandment one. Okay. Well, let's talk, let's talk about a different one then. So uh, for example, the idea of, uh, I don't know, somebody wants to take a loan and gets trapped into low interest li- interest rates, but that's not really as all the, the, the awesome it's cracked up to be. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I see cropping up now on the headlines more and more. And what I've seen it, the context I've seen this in recently, several times over the last several months, is in terms of gun and ammunition manufacturers who have been, you know, had had their operating lines, big companies had their operating lines to like Bank of America. And, you know, Bank of America is a bunch of communists. It's based in San Francisco. And in order to get on this um, repeal the Second Amendment bandwagon, these gun manufacturers are being notified by their banks that they're effectively having their loans called. Um, And this all harkens back to 
to something that I was warning cattlemen about, you know, goodness, almost 15 years ago now, because, you know, interest rates have been pretty low. They went to, you know, Treasury T-bills went to zero right at the end of George W. Bush, right around the time that um, Obama was foe elected or Obama usurped the White House. Um, And so interest rates, uh, treasury paper basically went to zero. And then, you know, retail, you know, interest rates for normal people, they didn't go to zero, but they just, you know, fell and fell and fell and fell. And so, you know, I'm in the cattle business and I'm teaching the cattle marketing schools and all my guys, it's, it was this constant battle trying to desperately to explain to these guys, I know interest rates are low. I know your ag loan officer is calling you every five minutes and telling you that you need to lever up and that you need to borrow this, that, and the other, and that you need to push this, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the first thing I would try to explain to them is, is when you have a market that, that spikes up, for example, if if you relever and and borrow even more money and leverage and push as hard as you can after a market has rallied and you've made a bunch of money off of the inventory value inflation of in in this case the cattle that the guys owned so you know their bankers will be calling and say oh the cattle market's way up look at how much your cattle are worth look at how much equity you have you need to put that money to work look how low interest rates are you need to push this you need to borrow a bunch of money i can lock you in for 20 years at these interest rates you need to do this well the problem with that is when you um when you push like that and you decrease the percentage equity that you that you have in your inventory so you go from for example having 50% equity in your in your cattle which relatively speaking is a very strong position relative to most other cattlemen and you relever that and then you drop all the way back down to where you only have 15% equity you have a lot more cattle cuz you've borrowed a lot more money against the equity that you made as as the market rallied, but you went and bought a big bunch more cattle now, and you only have about 15, let's say 15% equity in them. Okay, what do markets do? They go up, they go down. So what you've now just done is you've shot yourself in the foot. As soon as that market turns and goes down, you're going to be underwater. It's, it's going to be an absolute wreck. And it all guys could see was interest rates are low. My banker wants me to do this. He's going to lock me in for 20 years or whatever. And look how many cattle I could have. Look what a stud I can be. Instead of having 150 head, I could have 350 head. Oh my gosh, how macho would that be? And there's that temptation. Um, it, it, it is a species of greed. Um, it's kind of a species of avarice. It's a species of, you know, pride. It's wanting, it's wanting to be able to just, you know, walk into the sale barn. And instead of being a guy who has 150 head of cattle, you're a guy who has 350 head of cattle. Well, it's a species of having a, being a tax on not being able to do math as well. I mean, you're, you're you're leveraging against air. It's, it's unrealized profits. I mean, when, when the banker says you have this much equity, 
Yeah, in theory, that's like the headlines, yep. like one of them today, saying that Jeff Bezos lost $14 billion. The heck he did. He didn't sell a darn share. Just like when they say he makes $100 billion over, you know, because Amazon stock is fluctuating, he has just as many shares of Amazon stock now as he did, I don't know, five or six years ago, or however long it's been. It he, On paper, if he sold everything right away, which he cannot do, because that would move the yep. market to the point you couldn't do it, but... Yes, his paper value goes up and down, but that means nothing until you sell it. That's right. It ain't it ain't real until you sell it and flat out liquidate. The guys do not understand this. There's none of these concepts are taught in any way, shape, manner, or form, um, including including at the university level. You can major in ag economics, and not only do you not are you not taught anything like this. The, the stuff that you are taught is this whole, oh, you've got to put your money to work. You have to leave her. You have to do this, that, and the other. So they're even worse off if they've gone to, to university or anything like this. You're absolutely right. It's not real until you liquidate it. Um, but then the other thing that I would talk to the guys about all the time, and I mean, there's more we can talk about in terms of strength of equity position, and you actually, in the long run, you end up being more successful and end up growing faster, being bigger faster, owning your neighbors faster, if if you don't expand until you have a 100% equity position in what you have at the beginner level, then once you're in a position where you have 100, a 100% equity position, then your growth can really start taking off. Whereas if you do the leverage thing, I mean, you're just getting punched in the face and basically abused every time the market dips down and your life is just a living, breathing hell. And you end up far behind where you could have been if you had good business sense and not done any aggressive expansion until you got yourself into a 100% equity position. But the other concept that we would talk about and talk about and talk about is they'd say, well, my banker, I can, I can lock this in. I can lock these interest rates in for 20 years. I'm like, dude, look at what has just happened. You've got an Indonesian communist who has just usurped the presidency of the United States. The rule of law is fading fast. Do you not understand that the time is going to come and I don't know when it is, but we're in the early stages of this. And, the, you know, this is this is like 10 years ago because, you know, Obama usurped in, in the fall of 08. So that's when all of this is swirling around and we're starting to have these conversations as the rule of law goes away. You need to understand that just because you're locked in for 20 years, that doesn't mean that your loan can't be called at any point. They can call your loan at any point, which means they they come to you and they say, you have to pay this off in full now or liquidate. We're, we're done. And then what what that means if the bank calls your loan, okay, let's say you're locked in it just to make it an easy round number, 3%. You're locked in, you've got a 20-year note at 3%, but the bank exercises its option to call your loan. What you would then have to do in order to stay in business, presumably, is you'd have to scramble. You'd have to go to some other bank or some other lender. You would have to secure a loan that would enable you to pay off the loan that has just been called and essentially refinance. Um, so yeah, you'd have to go into the market, 
if if you're locked in at 3% and interest rates have gone up and now interest rates are at 5%, if the bank calls you, you're you're going to have to go into the market and essentially refinance. You're just switching lenders, but you're not going to you're not going to refinance at the 3% which hypothetically in this example is long gone. You're going to have to refinance at whatever the market is today. So the notion that you have this complete and total security, um, you really, you really, really don't. You can be forced and, and don't think for a second that especially the, the enormous banks, I mean, a lot of my clients still did business with extremely small locally held banks where the guy who owned the bank was literally the neighbor, you know, went to church with you and was at the coffee shop and all of that. But if you're doing business with one of the big, big, big banks, one of the big chain banks, even a medium-sized bank, I mean, you, you don't, you really don't have any, any choice or any option or any recourse. There's, there's really nothing you could do. And then what we started talking about it is, is exactly what we're seeing happening right now. At some point, this is all going to be tied to one's politics and one's religion. So it's coming and it's coming very, very quickly. And I'm surprised that this hasn't happened to me to some extent yet, um, that these banks like Bank of America, which is communist San Francisco, they're going to start looking at people's Facebook, you know, um, any any social media, anything. And if they see anything that doesn't fit in with this super hard left atheistic, satanic, Marxist, um, black shirt, fascist, Antifa, whatever the hell you want to call it. If you do not toe the line on these, on these political questions, and then of course, obviously, if you're any sort of a, of a Orthodox believing Catholic, and there's anything on your social media profile that says sodomy is a sin, or, you know, abortion is premeditated first degree murder and should be outlawed immediately. Um, If they see anything like that, they're going to start calling your loans, calling your mortgages, just basically making it impossible for you to do business, um, canceling your credit cards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's really important that people wise up and realize that this business of as is essentially in so many words, it seems to me prophesied in scripture that you're not, it's good. It's going to come to the point where you're not going to be able to buy or sell. I mean, that's, that's the end game. That's where they're eventually going to where it will eventually be the end game of where someone like me cannot receive money, cannot spend money. I'm going to have to literally be given food by someone else because I won't even be able to go out and go to a grocery store or in any way procure even food for myself. Or I'm, I'm not going to be able, I mean, right now as it is, I, I'm, I'm, I have to be off the grid in terms of paying rent. I can only pay rent in cash because, you know, you declare a tax strike and your credit score is wrecked. So the first thing they do now when you go to an apartment complex or something like that is they run your credit and mine's, mine's destroyed. So I basically am stuck to where I can only do uh, paying, paying rent in cash. 
we've been talking about this concept as well for a long time. Eventually, what they're moving towards is trying to just completely outlaw cash so that that isn't even a possibility anymore. So at that point, what are you going to do? Where are you going to live? Well, at this point, circling back kind of to where we started talking about long-term loans, mortgages, things like that. This is why I've been preaching to people, both in the context of, of my cattle marketing schools, but then especially in the context of just you know broad commentary that I've been doing now for these seven years or so, pay off your mortgage. People ask me all the time, well, what, what should we do? Should we do this? Should we do that? Uh, we've, I've got this 401k. I've, I've actually got access to it, but I don't want to, I don't want to put any more money in any of these damn retirement accounts or have anything to do with the stock market. What do we do? Question number one, do you have a mortgage? If so, pay it off, pay off your mortgage, own your house, because that will, I mean, it's not going to protect you forever, but that is a huge, huge thing to have no lender standing over you who can who can call your mortgage and effectively put you out on the street. Um, or as, it, you know, interest rates are now starting to creep back up. Um, what happens if if the if the the if the Goldman Sachs and the JP Morgans and these people and you know, the Federal Reserve, what happens if they do lose control of these of these interest rate markets? And and please believe me when I tell you the interest rate market has been completely synthetically suppressed. There's no way that interest rates should be even as low as they are now. Um, they're being synthetically held down. What happens if the true interest rate market is allowed to emerge globally and we go back to interest rates like we had in the 80s? Um, in the 1980s, um, where you have you have double digit mortgage rates and things like that. If you have a mortgage, if you don't own your home outright, it is conceivably possible that you could be specifically targeted. And wouldn't that be? Oh, can't you just see that? Wouldn't that be a sickening, satanic way to just absolutely mess with people and get people? get people to, you know, people who are weak to, to tow a truly evil satanic political line is to it not just take their health care away from them, but take all of these people who have all of these 30 year mortgages because nobody, statistically speaking, nobody in the United States owns their own home, statistically speaking. I mean, the percentage of people who own their own home now outright is just it's minuscule. So you got all these people who have these fresh 30-year mortgages at these just unreasonably low interest rates, synthetically suppressed interest rates. You get everyone suckered into this, and then you start going on Facebook, and you start doing this, that, and the other, and you, and these banks just go down the line. And anybody who voted for Trump, anybody who has any pro-Trump anything on their Facebook, da-da-da-da-da. You target them, you call their mortgages, force them to effectively refinance into after an interest rate spike from, you know, a, a, a five and a quarter percent mortgage to a 15 percent mortgage. Well, most people couldn't afford that. They couldn't afford the increase in the monthly payment because they've already pushed it as hard as they can and have very little equity down at, at these levels down here. 
you push your interest rate, you know, up 10 percentage points, you're going to you're going to devastate people. They're going to have to move. They're going to have to sell the house. They're going to have to move. And you're just you're just messing with people's lives. And how many people are weak, effeminate, impotent, lacking virility? How many people are going to fold when they're put under that kind of financial pressure? Well, I mean, look at the world around us. Look at the world around us. Look at the effeminacy. Look at how difficult it is to get people to take a stand, to do anything, um, to fight any of this that's been going on. I mean, you do have this Trump phenomenon where people are showing up to these rallies and so forth. But I don't know. A lot of these people, you put the screws to them. You really put the screws to them financially and threaten them with just absolute catastrophic um, financial calamity. Uh, I, I don't know how many of them wouldn't go ahead and, you know, just never show up to another to another political event on anywhere to the right of, you know, Mao um, for the rest of their lives or how many would would sign off and just keep their mouth shut or even or even affirm, ratify and participate in sodomitical paradigms or abortion paradigms or this, that and the other. Um, it's again, I, I hate to be pessimistic, but you look at the culture and you look how quickly it's swirling down and really how relatively little pushback there is against this this collapse of our society into degeneracy. I think if you really put the screws to people, man, what would happen? And so um, that's my little rant about um, interest rates and, and um, getting your loans called. And it's happening right now to gun and firearm manufacturers, especially. That's who they're trying to go after. And it's just anybody's guess who and what will be next. Um, well, and I'm I'm not I mean, a big defender of, of Alex Jones. I mean, I I find him entertaining in the same way that I find a circus clown entertaining. But I mm-hmm. find it interesting that uh, PayPal cut him off. They didn't they didn't do it uh, without warning. This they gave him like a 14 day notice. Twitter, Facebook, and whatever else is out there decided to ban him, and uh, his team is deciding to sue them. Uh, and I think them in this case, I want to say is Facebook and Twitter. Um, it's interesting in a sense that I, I'm, I'm curious what legal argument they're going to make here, but these are private companies. I don't see why yeah. they can't say, go away. We're not going to, we're not going to allow you to be on our platforms. I'm curious though, in the case of banks and e- eBay is not a, not an eBay, PayPal is not a bank, but I'm curious in the case of banks, do they have a regulatory requirement to allow to to require them to do business with people and they can't say we won't give you service just because we don't believe in your politics or well, does, it, um, yeah, does I, a bank it, have it, the have the ability to say I don't like your stance on abortion I'm not going to give you a loan well it's one of those things that there's there's all kinds of non-discrimination things that's that's on the books but it's it's completely selectively enforced. And this is a problem with the whole situation, with the rule of law and equal protection. Oh, they've got all these these, um, you know, notices and laws of, you know, we won't discriminate people based upon age, race, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity. I mean, they they have those on the books. But it's only to serve them. It's only to serve the leftist agenda. 
when it's time for for equal protection, when it's time for someone on the quote unquote right to then go back and say, wait a minute, you're discriminating against me based upon X, Y, Z. Well, I mean, it just it doesn't even matter. I mean, logical consistency, not not an, a, a, a requirement for any of these people. Hypocrisy is their stock in trade. Mendacity, hypocrisy, no problem. So it you will basically have no recourse because clearly you're engaging in hate speech and clearly you're this and clearly you're a bigot and and you should be driven out of society and eventually, you know, imprisoned and eventually executed, which is of course that's that's the long game right there. We're just in the very, very, very early days. But if you think those non-discrimination policies that these institutions have are going to be able are you're going to that you're going to be able to get any relief underneath those non-discrimination paradigms. Oh, you're you're completely naive. No, you won't. You probably won't. Um, and the other thing about that, and I'm glad you brought it up with the lawsuits and all that. A lot of these people, that's exactly what they want. They want to bait you into financially ruining yourself by going, hiring lawyers, da-da-da-da-da, you know, and just essentially killing yourself through litigation. They have, you know, a Facebook, a Google, a Twitter. They have, relative to any of us and relative to even a medium-sized interest like like Alex Jones, a, a Google relative to Alex Jones basically has an utterly inexhaustible budget that they can spend litigating with him. Whereas Jones, on the other hand, he he can easily just absolutely burn through any money or any any estate that he currently has. He can easily burn through that litigating against them. So in a sense, that's what they that's what they want you to do. They want you to go lawyer up and and fight it, even if you win. Even if you win, you've still completely destroyed yourself financially through attorney's fees. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a it's kind of a no win situation. You got you got to be smart about it. You say, well, we're proving a point, and you know, I, I I'm in the right here again. If you're in a if you're in a post uh, post rule of law or without rule of law. Um, paradigm as we are, you're, you're just silly. If you think that evidence, truth, objective reality, historical legal precedent, if none of these things matter, all bets are off when, when tyrants, especially tyrants of this nature, just completely irrational, irrational tyrants are in power. Just nothing you say, nothing you do matters. Ask Anyone who's had any experience with the Soviet Union, read Solzhenitsyn, read all of that, read the history of the Soviet Union, the kangaroo courts. It's there's just no point. I'm, I'm reminded right now of the great engineered famine in the Ukraine where, you know, the farmers went to the, the central the central Soviet office and said, okay, it's planting time. Give us the seed to plant the wheat. And they wouldn't give them any seed. Long story short, 
it's time, it's now harvest time and the Soviets come to the farmers and say, where's your crop? And you know, the, the, the farmers look at them and say, are you, are you out of your flipping mind? We were begging you, begging you to give us seed and you refused and now you're here asking us where the crop is. Not only were they asking them where the crop is, they were accusing them of being traitors for not delivering a crop. They were accusing them of hoarding, you know, clandestinely harvesting the crop and hoarding it and keeping it from the people. Well, this is clearly mendacious. Obviously, it is clearly detached from reality. It, it just didn't matter. And then they would summarily execute them on the spot for being enemies of the people. That's the level of evil and irrationality that we're careening towards. Sounds like fun. When, when does it all start? Right. <laughs> well, that's that's it. It is starting. I mean, it's it's the um, it's the whole um frog in the in the pot of boiling water thing you know we're all in the midst of it we're all living this history as it happens and that's one of the things that human beings are really really not good at is identifying things in real time as they're happening i mean we can see things in retrospect and we can see you know big pictures and paradigms and so on and so forth. But a lot of people, and especially large groups of people, large populations of people, they simply can't see massive, massive dynamics that are happening as they're happening in real time. So, you know, all the people in, in the 1930s were telling, were telling Churchill that he was out of his mind to be um, worried about Hitler in any way. And everybody said that, Churchill was a fear monger and an idiot and had no idea what he was talking about until the tanks rolled into Poland. And it wasn't until that moment that anybody, for all intents and purposes, acknowledged Churchill to be right. He was considered wrong and crazy up until that moment. And that's how it's going to be with us. You know, you keep warning and you keep pointing and you see little things here, little things there. This gun company just had their entire line of credit called and cut off by Bank of America, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and I do have another link, which I sent, sent you, Super Nerd. There is one bank who has said, yes, we will do business with gun manufacturers. It's Wells Fargo. And I mean, they're no angels, but they they have, um, I believe they are publicly the lender of choice for, for Ruger, I think. Um, yeah, that's the link so, you sent me. And I, I believe Wells Fargo actually is based in, in San Francisco. Bank of America yes. started as Bank of Italy, if you can believe it that. It was based in San Francisco, and it was in 1998 that Nations Bank acquired them because, surprise, surprise, Bank of America was defaulting on a massive uh, speculation in Russian bonds at the time. And Ooh. so Nations Bank, based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, acquired Bank of America and decided to take their name since everybody knew that name. So actually, Bank of America is based in North Carolina. North and Carolina. I'm sure, I'm sure a go. lot of people listening said, hey, Ann, Ann, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's in Charlotte. Uh, I got you covered. All right. Thanks. But I think there's a I think one of the reasons why. Well, I do remember that it was um, founded by some Italian in San Francisco. And I believe the, the one of the skyscrapers in San Francisco is the Bank of America Tower, I think. Yeah, it's the one that looks like a pyramid. And the uh, the Italian bank was founded because the, a lot of the banks were not giving loans to Italian-Americans unless they were really rich. In which case, they didn't really need the loans anyway. But right. uh, so it, it was founded ironically as a way to get around discrimination, 
Now we're coming full circle. It's like, who can we mm-hmm. discriminate against? And in the case of Wells Fargo, they just got fined. Was it in the billions for for the uh, fraudulent activity with regard to was it more? They they got fined big time. You'd sign up for an account of one type or another, and you, they would they would um, add like credit cards or other things on. I mean, the, the FTC oh, yeah, usually yeah. doesn't go after people that aggressively. It was it was either in the in the billions or maybe is even a multi billion. I can see where Wells Fargo is just happy to have anybody uh, to to take loans, and if if, if uh, Ruger is having a hard time finding anybody, Wells Fargo says, "Hey, we'll we'll take care of you. We we need customers. Come on in." Right. <laughs> yep. I I did business with Wells Fargo, you know, back in Denver back in the day, and yeah, they were they were always really aggressive about trying to get you to you know, you need a debit card, you need this, you need, you need that, you need this service, you need to tack this on. And yeah, I did struggle with, you know, you would have service charges show up on your checking account. You have to call them and say, what the hell is this? I never, I never asked for this. I don't want this. Take, take this off. I don't want anything to do with this. The other thing they were big in is, um, if you had a mortgage with Wells Fargo, they were doing the whole dump onto Fannie and Freddie thing. So I know on at least one of my, one of my rental properties, I, you know, had a Wells Fargo mortgage and then like immediately, immediately they dumped, they dumped the mortgage and it was put into some Fannie Freddie thing. And all Wells Fargo was, was the, what did they call it? The servicer? I think that's what they called it. So you still, I mean, you still made your mortgage payment in a sense to Wells Fargo, but it was just passing straight through to the federal government. And they were constantly calling. They always wanted you to refinance. I mean, they wanted you to refinance like every year. And I I don't know exactly why, but it was some, it was obviously some benefit of all of this business that they were doing back in those years, hyper aggressively, you know, in the 2008, 9, 10, where they were um, bundling all of these mortgages together, selling them on the secondary market and then, or directly selling them to Fannie or Freddie. Um, So they weren't, they weren't really holding that paper. It was just all getting dumped on the government. And then all of those subprime mortgages, that's why they were so aggressive. They would give anybody a mortgage because they turned around immediately and dumped it. So they had almost no risk. They were just originating these mortgages and then instantly turning around and dumping it on the government. So there you go. And, you know, again, by the headlines, it looks like a lot of that is happening again, that they're just pushing and pushing and pushing. And there's people getting into, you know, zero, zero zero equity or zero down mortgages and things like that. There might even be some, they might even be writing mortgages again that are in excess of a hundred percent. I thought I saw a headline idiotic. that I thought I saw a headline that, that the uh, Nina loans are back. That's the no income, no assets loans. Yep. No income, no assets. Yep. And in, ter- and in they- terms of a lender uh, selling the note, I worked briefly for um, a company in this, this area who they, their their whole thing is mortgages, and they I want to say the ratio, I don't know what the ratio is. They they held they held a certain portfolio where they financed everything themselves, but the vast majority of all the notes they sold, they bundled and uh, sold to the Wall Street banks. And and um, my office was right across the the I was going to say the street, right across the hall from the CFO. So he's constantly on the phone with Chase Manhattan and and all mm-hmm. the Wall Street banks negotiating for seven and eight figure. Uh, packages for roll up. We we still maintained all the servicing, so you'd get your 
your loan through Acme Lending or whatever we called ourselves. And uh, we'd sell countrywide. The, we'd, they called we, it countrywide. No, it wasn't countrywide. <laughs> I, 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 not that bad. I, I have, I have, I have dignity. I would never work for them. <laughs> now, uh, um, they, we would sell the, the the note, but we would maintain all the servicing. So all the monthly mm-hmm. payments, we'd take our our servicing fee off the top and send the send the payment on on to Wall Street or whoever owned the the loan at that point. So that is hardly unique that the the paper goes to somebody else. It almost everything goes into collateralized debt objects some sort. Yep. And that's, that was the famous um, story about Goldman Sachs. You know, they were selling these, um, these subprime bundles, um, this paper to their unsophisticated um, clients, which they called the Muppets. And there's internal memos of them referring to this, to these, to these products that they're selling to their customers as, you know, vomitous garbage and things like that. I mean, if you, if you Google that, it all comes up on zero hedge and everything. And they called, they called that part of their clientele base, the people that they were trying to dump this stuff, this, these super high risk mortgage, um, um, instruments off on as the Muppets, um, meaning, People who have money but are unsophisticated, um, and there's a lot of those. I mean, there's a lot of doctors, lawyers, dentists who are sitting on you know millions in in retirement accounts, who are sitting on millions you know in in CDs and things like that, and they, they end up being just used, abused, chewed up by. People like Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, et cetera. They're kind of in that middle space, you know. There's, it really is weird how how things just stratify and separate, and how now, yes, it is it is in fact true that millionaires are considered, in terms of the big banks, millionaires are considered like lower middle class. Lower middle class, you're not you're not even on the radar as a serious client, um, someone to be maintained and not just chewed up and spit out by a Goldman Sachs or a JP Morgan or a Citibank until you're well, well into the eight figures. Everyone else is just cannon fodder. You just burn, they, their mindset is just generate as much commission and fee income off of these millionaires these um what would be seven these seven figure people just generate as much as you can off of them burn them out because the real money you know the 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 clients that we need to worry about keeping um are are the the high millionaires and billionaires and there's that many of them now you know that that is actually a sustainable market segment so that you could literally consider seven figure millionaires as being basically lower middle class. You know, I, I was looking up uh, the, a link to an NPR story that was done after the, the, after the big housing crash in 2008, or, or it was referred to as the, as, as the subprime crash and the idea of the packaging of all the subprime loans. And, and the idea is that they, these investment companies would, would package, um, Good, you know, top quality notes along with medium quality notes, and then whatever company was packaging the basically the junk bond status stuff and backing it, they were the ones that got to name these funds. And there was one particular company on Wall Street that named everything after constellations, 
And um, they, by by packaging the subprime stuff, which is more or less guaranteed to default at some point, mm-hmm. they were able to take a, a, a loan not against their section, but against the entire fund. So they had an interest in seeing their their tranche of the funds go under and then be able to default the entire stack, even though yeah. the whole thing probably turned to profit. And I'm I, if I find the right link, I'll put this in the show notes. It's definitely worth a listen. I've also heard some people say that it's complete garbage what they're talking about. So I don't know. I thought I found it very interesting. And the whole idea was that there was a a period during the uh, the the ZERP day, zero interest rate uh, policy, where you couldn't make money any other way than making speculative risky bets. And real estate mm-hmm. was one of those areas where seemingly risky bets paid off. And what it ended up being, among other things, was a massive wealth transfer from the Middle East to Wall Street. Because this followed mm-hmm. not that long after um, oil had gone way up and then way down. But when oil was way up, somehow somebody talked the, the Middle Eastern countries into refinancing a lot of their debt. Then oil dropped all of a sudden, and they're like, well, what do we do now? And it's like, okay, Wall Street said, we'll help you out, but why don't you buy into these well, in, into these real estate investment trusts? And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it, it's like one financial crime after another that, that comes yep. up. And, and we've talked and, about this and, before. And in, in, term, in, in terms of nat- national vices, yes, we definitely have issues in this country with abortion. And, and um, actually, this kind of ties together. Abortion might be our biggest crime uh, in, in terms of the United States. Mm-hmm. But and I was just having this discussion with, with some people on, on Twitter. I, I was reaching out and trying to find people who literally have gone through the, the crisis decision of, I don't, I, I've got a pregnancy. I didn't, I didn't anticipate I need to abort. Why are you doing this? And I don't mean this in a rhetorical, I want to have an argument with you since I want to understand why do you want to do this? There is a study from Guttmacher Institute that says the number one reason is financial. And by number one, we're talking like 60, 70%. I can't mm-hmm. afford another baby. I'm a single person. I can't afford it, or I've already got two, three, four, or five kids. I can't afford the next one. Uh, it'll mess up my life, and and because you know I'm a teenager, I'm in college. The lost potential in earnings, it all comes back around to money. Mm-hmm. In so many cases, you know, all these financial crimes we're talking about here, you know, squeezing people out out of money, um, putting people into loans they can't afford and then bankrupting them. And then, Hey, on wall street, it's great. Cause you can just take insurance on the whole stack. Never mind the fact that people are going to go through foreclosure and commit suicide and break up families and all the evils that come with that. Oh, and by the way, abortion ties back to money as well. I, I, I wonder what is our, to look at it from God's point of view in terms of America. I mean, I don't know who's been praying so far to keep us from being nuked the way it is, because it seems like we're about 40 years behind schedule for the retribution we deserve. But it seems to all come back around to money and greed and may may or may not have something to do with the fact that the the dollar is the world reserve currency. I don't know if if power corrupts or we were corrupt already and took advantage of it. But Well, I mean, we are founded by a deistic, Freemasonic cabal, which is intrinsically materialistic. Um, and isn't it, I think it might be Father Ripperger who defines the American vice as avarice. Have, am I correct in that? Have you heard that? I don't remember if it was him, but I do remember somebody pointing that out. It sounds like something he would say because it's extremely yeah. intelligent and not something I would have thought of. So that definitely sounds like it's up his alley. Yep. 
Um, we should we should do a little Bing search on that and see if we can put something germane to that in the show notes, because that is an important concept. You know, the the American need for soul searching, needless to say, um, and the the American need to be able to look with a with a very critical eye at the founding of the United States, the principles on which it was founded, et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, at some point, maybe within our natural lifetimes, there's going to be some sort of a massive, massive reset. And it's not going to be able to be this, you know, Freemasonic, deistic, separation of church and state thing, because you see you you're seeing right now going back to what we were talking about, about the, you know, the frog being in the pot of boiling water. You're watching that whole thing come to fruition, come to full flower. This is the inevitable conclusion of it. Um, and so when there is what whenever this reset comes, barring supernatural intervention and and human beings are going to be responsible for rebuilding this thing, if we're if we're still engaging in this ridiculous, you know, Protestant mindset of literally worshiping um, the founding fathers who are a bunch of Freemasons. Um, and and calling the American founding documents and the American Constitution divinely inspired documents on par with with Scripture, and there's there's a lot of people there's a lot of people who think that way. Um, th- this is that that ain't gonna fly, folks. That just ain't gonna fly. And need to start being an adult and and thinking about these things and getting past these ridiculous um, false premises right now, so that you know there whoever survives that there will be some grown ups left who can have serious level discussions about this and and get this thing reset um, so that it isn't just some horrific tyrannical monstrosity and it has a chance and the only way it has a chance is if now oh, here we go is if jesus christ is the sovereign king and and all laws are subject to his law it's the only way it's going to work i'm telling you like it or not all that separation of church and state crap that that's all going to have to go and be careful be careful because what one of Satan's, um, you know, masterful chess moves, you know, p- putting people in check is right here. People, he has set the chessboard up so as to convince people by the example of Islam and Sharia law that and, that look at Sharia law, look at Islam. That right there is proof that you cannot have any sort of of mixture of the state and religion. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He does this all the time. You know, take this evil, monstrous, satanic political system masquerading as a religion called Islam, and then use that to convince Americans, Christians, you know, that no, Jesus Christ is not the king because you can't have Christ as the king because look at Islam. You can't have theocracy because look at Islam, et cetera, et cetera. That's the chessboard and you can't fall for it. You have to be able to shake that off and say, we as human beings have to utterly, completely, and totally reject Islam because it is satanic from top to bottom. Obviously, it's a false religion. I mean, it's so false that it, it isn't even a religion. It's a political system masquerading as a religion. 
Um, it is completely illegitimate. And therefore, you cannot have any intelligent discussion about true governance and, and, and how this is supposed to work and the kingship of Christ and then be involving Islam in that conversation at all is just completely irrational. But everybody tries to do it. And that's it's a tremendous satanic uh, tactic. That, and it's still working. It's still working. You'll find the most conservative people, the most conservative people will bring up Islam and bring up Sharia law and try to get you to shut up about the, the kingship of Christ by beating you with that cudgel of Islam and saying there can be no no theocratic admixture at all. No, no, that's not going to work. It's not going to work, folks. The laws of men and of the laws of the state have got to be subject to the divine law, to the laws of Christ. If you start getting into this business of, well, no, those two things can be separate, you end up murdering 60 million of your own children with full, quote unquote, legal protection of the state. You end up having dudes, quote unquote, marry each other. You end up um, having your children taken away from you because you won't permit, um, you know, one of your children to be kidnapped by the state and then given a surgery in which they are, uh, they have their reproductive organs cut out and are declared to be the, the opposite sex than what they actually are. Um, yeah, that's, that's what happens. You're seeing it frog in the pot. You're seeing it right now. You've got to be savvy enough and quick enough to pick up on it and fight it. Well, and I was just thinking too, it, multiple things can be true at once. I mean, the biggest vice in America can be avarice, but it doesn't mean that we can't have any other vices. Clearly we do. And oh, yeah. part of it is that we think we, ha we, we can be deterministic in our own way. And when you think about the fact that the United States was founded by people who were kicked out of England because they were so aggressive about trying to tell the Church of England that, that they were not being anti-Catholic enough, yeah. I guess we shouldn't be too surprised when we have a cultural and moral state that is bankrupt, to say the least, compromised um, on a trajectory that it was inevitable that we get to where we are. And I mentioned having the conversations with we're trying to trying to have interactions and conversations with people who legitimately have faced the question of abortion. And one of the reasons why I, I started seeking out these conversations is thinking about the fact that what what if somebody discovers that, hey, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been dead for the last four months. Uh, it's time mm. to, to nominate Amy Coney, Coney Barrett. And what if that six three reputed margin comes through in a, a challenge to Roe v. Wade come comes through, Roe v. Wade could be struck down, which, by the way, don't celebrate that just yet. It just means that it's a state decision at this point. It means federal. Yeah, I mean, all it would do is throw it back to the states, and right. then you would just, you know, someone in what's a state that would outlaw abortion? I figure, Probably I figure Kansas. Two, I don't know. I figure two to five states, Alabama, North Dakota. I think North Dakota and Montana might be the only contiguous states that would outlaw it. Maybe Kansas, but, you know, Missouri and Nebraska and Iowa aren't that far away. Colorado's maybe, around, across no, the border, no, and they'll never Colorado outlaw it. Maybe Oklahoma. 
maybe Oklahoma. Maybe. But then all people would do is they get in the car and they and they drive. So it wouldn't be it, it wouldn't, you know, instantaneously solve the problem. The only thing it seems to me that could solve the problem is if there if there was, in fact, a federal law saying that if if you if you procure the abortion of a child in the womb, both the woman who procures and the abortionist who performs the act will be charged with premeditated first degree murder. Period. That's, that's not going to happen. Even, even not, if we had not without even, supernatural intervention, obviously. True. But. I mean, even if we had a, a nominally Catholic country, I don't think that would happen. And it got me to thinking that if, okay, so if Roe v. Wade is overturned, first off, it won't stop abortion at all, maybe four or five. But you would, you, you would find a, two things happen at once. First off, you'd have the, the liberal, um, the, the liberal factions, the pro-aborts, would, would put together some kind of Uber service for people who want abortions who happen to live in states where it happens to be outlawed for the, for the two to five that actually outlaw it. You're going to find transportation and room and board for anybody who wants to kill the infant growing inside of them. Second, yeah. Secondly, it is going to be the cause celeb for at least a generation why you should not elect a single Republican. And yep. when it's all said and done, you're going to end up with a 7-2 or 8-1 majority liberal on the Supreme Court, and we're going to end up in a worse situation. If we want to end abortion, we've got to go to the people who support it, legitimately ask them and listen to them, why do you support this? And then counter these, like, have you considered this? Have you considered the idea that this is actually a human being it's not actually your body it doesn't have your blood type it doesn't have your dna it doesn't have your own heartbeat this is a separate human being living inside of you secondly if if your whole argument is financial have you considered putting the baby up for adoption i don't know the answer to this off the top of my head but if somebody knows the answer to this please email me i want to know this for the next time i have a discussion like this if you are somebody or if you know how this process works, if somebody is in what's called an unplanned crisis pregnancy and they don't want to have the baby, but they want to give it up for adoption, how easy is, is it to put a baby up for adoption? My understanding is that brand new babies are a lot easier to be adopted because it's, it's tabula rasa at that point. It's clean slate. And people want to want to adopt or or bring into their family a new baby, as opposed yeah. to somebody who's maybe had two three years learning vices from somebody else that you then have to deprogram. So my understanding is that there are lots and lots of couples, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands—I don't know how many it is—who want to adopt. I know two uh, two of the guys I work with are on waiting lists for adoption. They want to adopt babies and they're on a waiting list. They, they, they can't, there aren't babies available for them, for their family to adopt. I know at least two couples through, through um, parishes that I attend that they also are in a similar situation. They would adopt if there was a baby available. I've got to think that for somebody who is looking at the question of abortion, if they wanted to, uh, to put the baby up for adoption instead I've got to imagine if they knew that was a possibility that maybe they would act on it. And the person I was talking to was saying, well, why would I put the baby up for adoption? It doesn't get adopted and it goes into the foster care system. 
I think it's a specious no, argument. No, no, I think, <laughs> there's I think, such a waiting, I think it's a, such high, a waiting list. I think it's a highly specious argument, but I don't know the exact um, mechanics of what goes into that. My understanding is that if some if if, if somebody who is reasonably healthy wants to adopt out the baby that they are with whom they are pregnant and rather than aborting that it's pretty much you can have this pretty much closed within a couple of days but you you do know what the answer to that is don't you i have these girl the girl the girls don't want to get fat super nerd and i'm i'm not being facetious they do not want to get fat they don't want to go through the physical discomfort they don't want to go through childbirth they just want to go down, either take a pill now, which is available if it's early enough, I guess, or they just want to go down to the thing and do something that takes about as long as getting your teeth cleaned. And you don't get fat and you can have as much sex as you want without any consequence. And it, it, they really are that narcissistic, that shallow, that self-absorbed that completely devoid of, of empathy. Um, yeah, they're, they're these, these women, these young people of breeding age today running around, they are massively narcissistic and it really is as simple as you look at a, you know, you look at a 19 year old girl who has just gotten pregnant and say, well, why don't you carry the child to term and, and put it up for adoption? You'll have no problem finding someone to adopt the baby. And the answer is, I don't, I don't want to get fat. I don't want to go through childbirth. I can't, I don't want to do any of that. And, and it really, it really is that simple. One of the terms that was thrown out was I don't want to wreck my body. And of course I'm yeah. thinking that, let's see, I, the, the U S American or was it the U.S. Open tennis tournament happened just recently. One of the mm-hmm. finalists just had a baby recently. I would imagine there are more professional athletes who resume their careers after childbirth than people who actually physically get wrecked. Yes, some people have massive, uncurable, non-reversible trauma as a result of childbirth, but it's. But you see, you're, you're still giving them way too much credit. It isn't even that. Let's go back to our example of the 19-year-old girl. She's in her physical prime. She's got a hard body. Her hips are, have not been stretched in any way. Um, you know, she weighs, she weighs 118 pounds. She thinks that if she carries a child to term, that she is going to permanently gain 20 pounds. Her hips are going to be stretched. She's going to have stretch marks. Her boobs are going to be ruined and her boobs are going to get saggy. Um, it, it, it really is. It really is this shallow. That's the issue. Well, okay. The the kind of girl you described, I think, is in a vast minority. We're talking about American girls. No, we're talking no. about American girls. They're starting off at 150 pounds. They're not that skinny. <laughs> They're <That's> sedentary. <laughs> And the the whole idea, I think, I think it's more of a of a of an effeminacy thing. They they don't want to do the arduous but correct thing. Yes. And the other yes, the other yes. thing that really jumped out at me in this conversation was, well, you know, what do you recommend then? I mean, it's like, well, how about abstinence? Well, how am I supposed to explore no, no, my sexuality? No, no. Well, who said anything about exploring your sexuality? First off, but with the real discussion, I tried to steer it toward is, well, what makes you think you can just avoid responsibility for things? And narcissism. That, yes. I mean, it's, 
And again, this is just all from one conversation on Twitter. I mean, if I had this conversation five times a week, I'd probably have a lot more show fodder, honestly. And that's not why I did it. I really am trying to find out what are people thinking? How can I more effectively um, learn the mindset so I can try to talk to these people and say, look, there are things you aren't seeing, things you haven't thought of. Life is important and you need to change your mind on this because we can't rely we can't rely on courts and we can't rely on law to bring about morality. There's got to be a conversion of soul. And if we don't have that, we're going to deserve everything that comes to this country. And the way we're going right now, we God's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology, an apology for not yep. nuking us. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to an interesting question. Have you seen the Gosnell movie or is it anywhere around you? It's, it's nowhere around me. I'm going to have to wait till it's online, but, um, have you seen it, or is, is there anything going on around you with regards to that? It is local. My wife has seen mm-hmm. it. I stayed home and watched Tiny Princess. And um, everything what did she? What did Super Mommy say? She really liked it, but it's the reviews I'm I'm hearing online from various podcasters, uh, Matt Walsh specifically, um, who who is is making me say, "Oh wow, I wish I would have gone to this as well." Um, so I, I may have to. Um, lean on super mom and say, why don't you have a friend come over and keep and, and uh, entertain you some evening while I go out and watch this movie. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's extremely powerful. And one of the, one of the things that uh, Matt Walsh pointed out on his podcast is, is people talk about if abortion was outlawed, we'd have all these dirty back alley, back alley abortions where people die from unsanitary conditions. Um, hello. Gosnell is not the exception. Abortion is legal now and people are dying because of dirty yeah. abortions. Yep. Abortion is yep. a dirty business. People will die. Yep. And you could argue and, they're the lucky ones. Yeah. Yep. And it's, um, I mean, again, it's harsh. It's premeditated first degree murder. So if you do something like that, you're bringing your own blood down upon yourself. Um, you, you deserve it. If you get it, you deserve it. But there are, if it were genuinely illegal, wave the magic wand, um, it would stop, it would absolutely stop a lot of people from doing it because a lot of people would think, well, crap, I could, I could die. This is, this is a life risking thing that I'm doing here. Um, and it would, it would curtail some of it. It wouldn't curtail all of it, obviously, but it would, it would make people at least stop, stop and think a little bit and it would curtail some of it. I I wonder at times whether or not we even have in the United States something equivalent to the Carmelites of Compiègne who by, by virtue of making a, a, uh, an offering of their lives that was accepted by Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm to end the terror of the French revolution. I wonder if there's anybody who said, I will give my life, my reputation, my everything, as long as abortion can be ended. And who are those people? And I wonder if they, I wonder if they're even out there. Yeah. And how can I help them I, if they're out there? Yeah. Right. Um, there's, well, there's obviously a lot of people who do, um, who do the anti-abortion work and who do the, the prayer and the sidewalk ministries and all that. But I do want to just, we won't go into this in detail, but just mention, because it does bear mentioning, that believe it or not, believe it or not, pro-lifeism 
can turn into its own religion. It can turn into a false idol. Um, and you have to be really careful about that. And it's really easy to pick those people out. Um, you know, periodically I'll get, I'll get an email from a person like that. And, you know, they're the kind of people who come out and say, you, you really don't care about abortion. I'm the only person who goes out and stands on the sidewalk. I'm the only one who's ever done anything. You just give it lip service. You, you're just a phony. You're just a fake. I'm the only person who actually believes in this. And, you know, right there, you've got, you've got a person who's, who's slipped into this as a false religion. Um, believe it or not, believe it or not, even a cause as, as good and holy and, and excellent as stopping abortion, if you put that above God, which some of those people get into, it turns into a cult. It's, it turns into a false religion. It turns into a cult. So you have to be careful about that. I, um, I also wonder if yeah. the, I also wonder if these are the same people with the gruesome and grotesque, you know, four foot by six foot or one meter by two meter, if you're overseas, uh, posters of dismembered babies, which I don't know who that actually is supposed to reach and actually convert. I mean, oh, I've I, been known I, to I, put pictures of is, dismembered babies on the blog. And I think it, I think it does jar people, like you said, into thinking about what actually is going on here. And that's, uh, that's something that the Gosnell movie, all the technology with the, um, like the, the sonograms and the four, the four, the four dimensional sonograms, you know, where it's actually three dimensional image with moving, you know, in time. So it's four dimensional because what they played on for a long, long time, decades and decades and decades was this propaganda that it's just a, it's just a clump of cells and all of this advancement in technology to where you can actually see that this is, this is a, a very clearly defined human being from very, 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 I mean, you know, visually recognizable fingers, toes, fingernails, all, all of these parts from within a matter of just a couple of weeks post fertilization. Um, and then, you know, juxtapose that with the images of the children that have been murdered. And that wasn't just a clump of cells. Um, even, you know, the, you know, the 12 week, 14 week abortions that we've been seeing with the work that the people have done exposing the trading and the body parts and all of that. And you see these little teeny tiny, perfectly, perfectly formed and defined hands and feet. And, um, and you know, these, these filthy people are picking the organs out and selling the tissue and selling the organs. And, and, um, I, I think it does serve a purpose to show this isn't just a clump of cells. It doesn't, it's not like a, a chicken egg or something like that, you know, and and that's that's the lie that they've all been fed that it isn't even human. Well, maybe I'm the wrong one to be making this argument then, because mm -hmm. it's it's something that turns me off. And 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 uh, of course, I'm not into you know the, the <laughs> talking about time of the year. I'm not into Freddy the Friday the Thirteenth, October, November, mm. you know, Halloween movies or whatever it is that's going on. Uh, in fact, <laughs> total tangent side note here. Uh, I'm in a I'm in a Toastmasters group, and of course, every Toastmasters meeting they have a theme, and the theme was scary movies because we're just about to Halloween. And my thought for scary movies was 
you're supposed to give a title of a movie. And my, my, my two thoughts that came to mind was Patton and Torah, Torah, Torah. Because you think about just how close one or two decisions on both sides. World War II could have ended the other way around. That's mm-hmm. scary. Of course, most people were talking about. That's a good point. Most people were talking about Freddy Krueger or some kind of goblin movie or whatever. But yeah. um, I'm not the kind of person who enjoys blood and gore. So the, those kind of signs that, with the abortion protesters, prayerful witness, whatever they want to call themselves, I just think that is so not the right way to go about it. I mean, people who are driving by on the street, oh, I see a grotesque sign of, of, of dismembered body parts. I'm against abortion now. More like I'm about to gag. I'm trying to drive straight here. That's my thought. Well, you should be about to gag because it's a it's a completely innocent human being that's been savagely, savagely murdered. Um, I so I think I think we we agree to disagree on this on this. I think that it does have a place. I think that 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 those images absolutely do have a place. I'm perfectly willing to be wrong on this point. So <laughs> I, well, I, will, I will do my part in other ways to try to end abortion. I'm not going to be looking at or carrying such signs. I'm going to try to uh, go to the people who need to be converted and have discussions with them. So awesome. I'll, I'll do that instead, but we, okay. we're okay. way, way yeah. off topic here. I mean, the whole idea that, I mean, that we tangented into this and it was my fault for spring bringing it up, but we we're talking about the, the, the chief fault of, of the United States being avarice. And I don't think we were completely done with that topic. Um, we were going to talk about the idea that markets that have massive volatility don't have integrity. Did, we, did you want to go into that? Well, it's a pretty quick point. Um, it's just a quick reminder to everybody. Um, I think we, we've talked about this on a previous episode, but it's kind of hard to find. We're now at episode 65. Um, and that is, you know, just looking at the headlines of the past several days, massive volatility in the stock markets. Just a reminder to everybody, markets that have integrity, markets that are real, do not have horrible back and forth volatility like what you're seeing. The reason why these markets are so volatile is, as I have said before, there are very, very few actual human beings left in any of these markets. It's so um, taken over by algorithms and all this massive churn trading with computers that, you know, there's no, there's no way to put a, a, a break on anything. So anything happens and things just cascade through the algorithms. There's no, you know, human break in any of this. And we've talked about this in the context of, you know, if I were queen of the universe and wave my magic wand, what what would the markets look like? Well, go back to human open outcry, get away from the computer, certainly the computer execution, because that the slowness of human beings and the the limitation of how much volume you know, a group of human beings standing in a room, standing in a pit, doing open outcry and trading stocks and, and commodities and so forth, that in and of itself is a massive protection mechanism. Um, and I think I probably gave the, the example of the always corrupt and hyper volatile pork belly futures markets. The pork bellies were always untradably volatile. And the reason why they were is because there were four Jews in Chicago, literally, who owned all of the pork belly cold storage. It was four guys. And they all stood in the pit 
and they just ran the whole thing. And so it was a completely corrupt market. There wasn't, you know, if you've got these four guys who are either trying to screw each other over and then if, you know, heaven help some poor, some poor guy who's, you know, has, has a trading account in Florida and calls his commodity broker and tries to put in an order to buy, you know, one contract of, of May pork bellies at the market and some broker straggles into the pit and he's got a a market order to buy. Well, they're going to stop trying to screw each other over for the 15 seconds that it takes to absolutely rape the guy who's trying to, you know, buy one single contract at the market, that the market, the pork belly markets were just untradeable. And it's not because I understand folks, what we're talking about, we're talking about pork bellies. We're literally talking about bacon. We're talking about bacon. It's not, it's not as if nobody in the United States eats any bacon. There's no tonnage of bacon the reason why the pork belly markets were corrupt and untradeable is because that they were untradeable and hyper volatile is because they were corrupt. Um, and so well, just, corrupt in the sense that four people had cornered the market. Yeah. Yeah. But it was always like that. And so you, it's kind of, you're, you're seeing a, a certain aspect of the same thing, even though there's, you know, the volume obviously is just, enormous. And one of the reasons that the the volume in the stock market today is so enormous is because companies like Apple, it was disclosed, let's see, it's before it's before I moved to the van down by the river. So that's got to be, you know, it's over five years ago. So five, six, seven years ago, something like that. It was disclosed that Apple had this entire huge hedge fund uh, you know, that had some some completely nondescript name like Evergreen or something like that. You would never you would never know that it was Apple if you just saw the name in the newspaper or something like that. Massive billion dollar hedge fund. And this and this hedge fund did nothing but just churn stocks electronically all day long. These microsecond round turn stock trades in, out, in, out, in, out. And so you look at the trade volume of the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, any any of them, you know, look at the at the volume and realize that it's not, you know, people, it's not human beings doing any of this. It's it's these massive companies setting up hedge funds, setting up computer trading to just pump, 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 churn, churn, churn. I think I'd have to look it up. I'm sure I can find it and we'll, we'll put it in the show notes if I do find it. Um, that they were do they were trading like a billion shares a day. This hedge fund was trading a billion shares a day, just just turning, just pumping and churning and churning and churning. Um, it's it's almost it's just a it's a money laundering sort of a thing because all that's really doing is it's generating um fees and income for the the brokerage house the investment bank the exchange that's that's what it's doing so it's it's my red flag goes up and says that's some sort of a money laundering thing but understand when you see the volume that's what it is 
that volume is not the kind of volume that's going to protect you from wild swings up and down. Only real, genuine, you know, human trade volume, where if a market goes too high, the human beings look at that and say, wait a minute, this is completely out of whack. This is too high. I need to sell this. Or if it goes too low, human beings look and say, ooh, this is too low. This is a good buy. Um, the computer thing, that's, that's not what's going on there. So just beware. And then, oh, what was the other thing? The last topic, the, the quick reminder, kind of in the same vein, but a little bit different is, you know, you look at these um, employment figures and economic figures and so forth. And, you know, I certainly am the first to want the economy to be good. Obviously, I want I want employment to be good. But remember, they're using exactly the same corrupt calculate, calculation methods that they were using during the Obama regime. None of that's changed. The other thing we have to be adults about and acknowledge is that the, the debt is just skyrocketing. Uh, Trump is doing what Trump has always done in his in his private career. And he's just he's just pumping the debt, man. Um, we have to be intellectually honest about these things and not say that just because Trump, who is not Hillary Clinton, thanks be to God, that because it's Trump, that we're willing to look the other way on this. Um, whereas while it was Obama or whatever, we were all up in arms saying, wait, this is your pumping debt and these employment figures are phony baloney. Wait, wait, what the hell's going on here? You can't just turn on a dime turn a blind eye and be, you know, be inconsistent like that really, really bothers me that that inconsistency. Um, and, you know, I've it's the parallel that I see this in this inconsistency is the the issue. Oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. I'm not going to I'm not even going to make that point because I made the commitment that we're not going to talk about the sixth commandment thing. So, I'm I'm biting my tongue right now, but there there is an inconsistency with regards to the sixth commandment thing too. You know, it's bad when people on the left do it, but when people on the right do it, well, we're willing to turn a blind eye and oh, that's just they're just quirky. Uh, that it's it's that same kind of thing. Look, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and grown up adults, people of integrity, you have to hold yourself to your own, to your own, you know, set of rules. You have to hold yourself to the set of rules and you can't just sleaze in and out of it when your political guy, it happens to be, you know, publicly in power. So that's just another thing I would remind everyone, employment numbers, pump and debt. It's, it's bad when Trump does it. It's bad when Obama does it. And we have to be honest about that. Well, and Trump loves to uh, talk about fake news from the mainstream media, but he's more than happy to pump the fake numbers from the uh, Labor Bureau statistics. And one of the links I'll put in the show notes is uh, Shadow Stats. And these are folks who are grabbing the same numbers that are available to anybody who wants to run the calculations, but they're running the same calculations that were done in, I want to say, 1970. And mm. they're showing unemployment rates around 20%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the trick, that was the trick that the Obama regime did, is they would, they would um, eliminate people from the workforce after they had been 
unemployed for a hundred weeks, I think it was. Um, so basically two years, if you were, if you were registered as unemployed for two years, they would just, they would write you off as part of the workforce. And so what they literally did, and I called it from the beginning, they're just going to keep doing this until they get the unemployment rate down under 4%. And that's exactly what they did. And it was as phony, transparently phony. Anyone with two brain cells to rub together looks and sees exactly what they're doing. They weren't even trying to hide it. Um, we have to, now that, you know, it's not Hillary Clinton in the white house, thanks be to God. Um, we have to hold ourselves to that same standard and say, look, we, we, these calculation methods, this is, this is BS. We have to be honest about this. Now, I do think that there are, there is job creation going on, especially in, in certain, um, certain areas in which Trump has opened back up and, and stimulated investment in and so on and so forth. But like, like Supernerd just said, these, these unemployment rates are nowhere near what they're being reported as. They're much, much, much higher. And, you know, you, you have to, you have to be honest about these things. You know, this, this lying, it will bite you in the butt. It will bite you in the butt eventually. Well, I'm looking at the Shadow Stats website right now on the unemployment charts. And yes, the number is trending down slightly since, mm-hmm. um, I almost said Obama, since uh, Trump yeah. took office. But uh, it's still around 22%. I mean, yeah. Trump is talking about sub 5% or around 4%. There's the U6 number, which is up around 8%. And then there's the shadow sass number up there over 20%. <laughs> Fake news. I mean, come on. Who's telling us the truth here? And, yeah. of course, who's got the motivation to actually tell you the full truth? <laughs> Crickets chirping. I, 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 in this day and age, I don't even know. Uh, I don't even know who that would be. So... Okay, so I, I started at the top of the podcast mentioning something about uh, a bomber sending sending um, uh, or somebody sending bombs to Democrats, and apparently it's according to the news it's a Republican person because he's got a van with all kinds of pro Republican stickers. I, I as I'm as I'm surfing around here looking for news that supports what we're talking about here and, and the links, I came across a site that and I'll, I'll have to link these screen grabs in in the in the show notes. The guy who is uh, has been arrested, um, multiple references saying he's registered with the Democratic Party. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, well, it's not over. Keep stay frosty and <laughs> watch your six and all that. <laughs> of course, you, you can never uh, you can never tell what's actually true here. I mean, if if it's if it's a well done operation. It's somebody who is now Republican. He used to be Democrat. And it's all been engineered, and he's a deep agent who's been cultivator for a while. I mean, Soros is slippery, but he's not stupid. I mean, you can't get to be that rich if you're an idiot. Yep, clearly, clearly. Well, that's interesting. We'll keep an eye on it. Yep. Well, what is, what's our time stamp here? Where are we? Um, we just crossed an hour and a half, so we're plus there 90 you go. minutes. Or plus one, one, <laughs> 90. Yeah, plus 90. 
All right. There you go. I think uh, I think that's an episode right there, my friend. Oh, I had I had made an informal tongue in cheek bet with somebody to be over two hours because it's been so, so long since we talked. So well, I don't know. How, nah, I, how, want, I want you to get get to bed and get your eight hours. So <laughs> oh no, no eight hours tonight. Last night was was definitely um, I, I, I was pretty wiped out after 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 Thursday. So I, I got to bed early. Uh, so that that was that's why I got a full eight hours last night. Uh, it's, it's more of a normal bedtime tonight. And then of course, um, you know, weekend kids get up early. It doesn't matter when, when, um, mom and dad, mom and dad go to bed, they, they get up early and that kind of predicts what time I have to get up. So, well, cartoons are on, or do they even have cartoons anymore on Saturday? They don't have cartoons anymore. I have they? no idea what's on TV. Oh, speaking oh, of right. which, TV. Speaking awesome. of which I, sent, I sent you a link about, um, the consensus in Silicon Valley about screen time that a lot of the big movers and shakers, and of course Steve Jobs was one of the people who was cited about this, he would not let his kids look at iPhones and iPads, even though he invented, well, his company invented the darn things. Um, it, uh, yeah, I'll definitely have to put this in the show notes, but basically that mm. that uh, Silicon Valley knows that these things are dangerous. And so they the, the these tech CEOs don't allow their kids to, to deal with tech. It's all paper and pencil, which... Hey, I'm feeling fine with that because my kids almost never they're, they're not using computers for for schoolwork or anything like that. I've I've begun to wonder, it's like at what point do I need to teach them how to type? And then I remember I learned how to type in high school, like 11th, right. 10th grade, and that didn't stop me from being a programmer nerd, so Yep. Yep. Awesome. Then again, my being a programmer nerd had more to do with learning Latin and inventing linguistic concepts. In fact, in in ninth grade, I was Ninth and tenth grade, I was inventing my own language that I I called Simplica, based on Latin. Simplified Latin is what that stands for, and it was you know, the whole idea. If you're going to invent a language that has all the properties that are wonderful about Latin, but all the crap that's not wonderful about Latin, like 140 ways to form a regular verb, and don't even start getting involved in the irregular verbs, and getting rid of all the declensions, get just make it all normal, make it easy to understand. Kind of like North Koreans with 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 uh, their version of Korean just made everything phonetic, and so their their literacy rate jumped to almost one hundred percent. I was I was inventing human languages before I was ever dealing with computer languages. So I, you're I think, kind of like a little uh, Tolkien Junior there inventing your own languages. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. There you go. I had no idea about that part necessarily. I was trying to be practical, not making up made up stuff that wouldn't be used outside of a fictional novel. <laughs> Well, who knows? Maybe if you keep working on Simplica and then maybe someday you can you can write some great epic uh, <laughs> describing our age. You can write the great epic of the 21st century. Tolkien had the great epic of the 20th century. You can write the great epic of the 21st century. Well, in, in my senior year of high school, we took a humanities course, which which dealt with um, uh, Greek history and and, and um, well, Greek and Roman history. And, and a lot of the Greek uh, mythology and whatnot. And somewhere along that line, it came to the conclusion that there's no way you could ever actually implement a language like, okay, simply as what I was calling it, but you could never do this because you would be compressing the whole idea of human free will. And when you look at English, how do you, you compare English to any other language? It, it evolves quickly and you can just make words up. I mean, there's the, mm-hmm. the comedian Frank Caliendo who, who does a, he's a, he's an impersonator who can, who can he doesn't just make the same sounds that that uh, famous people make, but he has the same mannerisms facially and everything that he he's he's a good mimic. Yeah. But he talks about George W. Bush, 
and how he, 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 he the way he mangles and, and manipulates the English language and how you add the 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 suffix ificate or acate or if i it's like you, yep. you you have to expand your your vocabulary you need to do vocabulary vocabulify you need to vocabulicate and it's it's, <laughs> it's it's the ability in english to just invent words that kind of make sense but they're stupid at the same time but you can still understand what's I, going I have on. I one of those. I invented the word expoopticated, as in, I'm really expoopticated. I'm going to go take a nap. And so I, you're exactly right. You, you, you add a suffix, and then it's also being dumb and silly, too. You know, instead of I'm pooped, um, if you want to sound like a intellectual, you say I'm expoopticated. Oh, expoopticated. Okay, I was thinking like spooked like you saw, like you saw a ghost or something. No, like pooped. I'm pooped. Oh, okay. I'm trying to write this down because this this has to be in the summary somehow. <laughs> well, expoopticated should probably be in the title. I mean, that's pretty awesome. It seems to me I have some other words that I've made up too. But yeah, it's 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 not difficult to do. And if you if you have any skill or facility with the English language, I mean, it, <laughs> words just kind of fall out of your mouth sometimes, you know. So. <laughs> and if you've seen seven or eight Latin words in the in the kind of uh, formulations that they take, it's it's kind of easy to do i mean gerunding a noun is not that hard yeah <sighs> speaking of gerunding let's wrapify this podcast let's wrapify <laughs> all right go ahead my friend oh the email address for the podcast where you can send feedbacks comments suggestions gerunds and other parts of speech is podcast at barnhart.biz which I have spelled correctly in my show notes now uh, nice. masses for Anne's benefactors if you're hearing this podcast well if you're not hearing this podcast then I don't, I don't know why I'm saying this or how this has meaning to you but if you're hearing this podcast then there was a mass ad for Anne's benefactors today uh, every day of the week and uh, every every week once a week there is a mass for everybody who died the previous week please pray for these priests who are saying these masses they need our prayers every bit as much as we need theirs mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm sure there's something more eloquent that I could say at this point, but I went off script and I forgot where I was going to go with that. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Dirt Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details. And that's what Mark and I have no idea what to call the person who sent in the money order from someplace in Florida. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um <laughs> Thank you very Florida much. Florida man. Florida man. No, not that Florida man. The other Florida man. The good Florida man. Uh, so, yeah, somebody sent in a, a, a money order through the P.O. box. Uh, and then, of course, Marianne, Susan, Kirk, Charles, and Arthur sent in something through PayPal. Thank you very much for your support. And, uh, if, if, by the way, if you, if you want to send something specifically for a tiny princess, please note that someplace. So, uh, my accountant says to, if somebody wants to uh, make, something specifically for her that can be denoted differently on taxes. So just make some kind of memo somewhere that's uh, relevant in that regard. And we're good there. Um, Anne has this uh, Matthew seventeen twenty initiative that um, now you, you do it. You do it better than I do. You betcha. The Matthew seventeen twenty initiative praying every day and fasting twice a week um, that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-pope and the whole thing be nullified that Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope all this time since 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that Ratzinger 
repents of what he has done, dies in a state of grace, and someday achieves the beatific vision. Again, praying every day, full fasting twice a week, um, because why Matthew seventeen twenty is the verse where our Lord says, these ones... These these extra extra hairy extra bad ones they can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. So right, and that's it's not what just, I'm doing. It's not just these hairy ones that the the apostles had been casting out demons from the people who were possessed, but there were some people that they could not cast out the demons, and they asked Jesus, "Why is it we can't cast these out?" And Jesus answered, "For some of these, you can only cast them out through prayer and and fasting." And the problems facing the church right now. At the minimum, it's going to take prayer and fasting to solve this. Yeah. <laughs> understatement. Uh, I think you just trumped the, the understatement you made at the beginning of the podcast. I think that's the understatement of the podcast. <sighs> Trumping understatements. That could be a title. Ooh, that's a good one. That's it. <laughs> if, if you do some sort of a linguistic thing to it. So there's your assignment. <laughs> well, until next time, I'm going to be working on titles. And I am super nerd. Who are you again? I'm Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs>